Okay, folks, today we're here with Robert Maynard, the founder and CEO of SearchX. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Robert. Thank you. It's quite an honor to be here. Uh, great. Well, listen, Robert, I know that uh, you've had a, a, a very storied career, so uh, if you would uh, be so kind as to tell our audience a little bit about yourself and what you led you to, to launch SearchX. Sure. Um, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I've created companies that have resulted in about $6 billion in capital wealth uh, from zero, several billion dollars in consumer and B2B sales, uh, 3,000 employees plus hundreds of millions in taxes. Um, as important, uh, I am, I've been bankrupt three times. Uh, I was on welfare after my first IPO. Um, I've been told by teams of doctors twice in my life that I would never work again. And uh, I've got the scars to prove it. And, and you're and still here to tell the tale. You, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's in case it doesn't occur to you, I uh, live with bipolar disorder. So uh, I, I uh, started SearchX because I was looking for my next project um, after the doctors told me I wasn't going to work again. And uh, I came across the, the, the information that surcharging was now legal right. uh, in the United States and was allowed by Visa, MasterCard, and the others. Uh, immediately, I knew that was the opportunity that I wanted to pursue because the market is giant, mm -hmm. the pain point is well known, and uh, it's it's complicated enough that it requires uh, you know dedicated technology. Right, right. That's kind of my gig. That's what I do. Nice. Well, well, that kind of segues really, really. Uh, well into what we've been talking a lot about here um, on the past issue, uh, past episodes, you know, the cost of payment accept acceptance. It's a real hot button issue with merchants. You know, and many ISOs and agents have been offering cash discounting and or surcharging to help um, ameliorate these concerns. Could you describe for us um, what you see as the primary differences between these two approaches and why you feel surcharging is uh, apparently a better option? We, we are infrastructure agnostic, so that means we don't have to change processors. We don't have to get you off interchange plus pricing. We don't um, care what cart you're on or, or what uh, gateway you use. Um, and we support currently card not present transactions, so that would be e-commerce, telephone sales, and uh, recurring revenue payments. So it's specific uh, to us to, to card not present that the only those are the only types of merchants that you service. Currently, we'll be servicing uh, POS uh, in uh, late summer. Okay. Okay. And nice. the same the same rules will apply. It doesn't matter what your POS system is. You won't have to change equipment. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so can you maybe speak to um, the your business model? Are you a merchant acquirer? Do you work with ISOs and agents, um, mm -hmm. and so forth? And how and how do you handle pricing? Okay, so we uh, cooperate with the ISO industry and the acquirers. We are a layer of technology uh, that calculates the accurate surcharge, and it can be anywhere from zero to four percent, and kind of any number in between. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you, I'm sure your audience is familiar that the merchant is not allowed to make a profit on any single transaction. So the the theory right. that 
uh, you can just take on uh, average pay 3.2%, so I'm just going to pass 3.2% on, is completely non-compliant. Right. So we have to uh, get to the right number, and we spent the last two years making sure we do. Uh, the uh, what was the second half of that question? I'm sorry. I well, let me lost. let me actually let me dive into that for just one second. So so do I understand what you're saying as far as how to get to that number? You're talking about what with you guys. You're trying to make sure that you're not like increasing their pricing when they switch to your surcharging model. Like you're looking at what have they been paying in the past, and that's that's what you mean as far as getting to the right number. Yeah, that's how. Actually, we actually yeah we actually look real time at the card and uh, the shipping location or the billing address and go into the tables and pick the right number. So, so I think I think know that I think one important mm-hmm. distinction there is because this we really need to dig in here because this is drastically different than what everybody else does, right? So most people in the industry what they're doing is they're doing like let's say a three point five percent surcharge or whatever, and then they're pricing the merchant at a flat rate of three point four whatever, you know, so that the dollar amounts wash out. They're not actually looking at the cost of the transaction. Are you saying that you guys actually pass through the true percentage cost of, of interchange or something, or how does that work? Yes, that's exactly right. Wow. So what okay. what we have to do in order in order to be agnostic to to whatever processor we're working with, we have to be able to get the right numbers. So, you know, one of my requirements as we were building this company was we don't want anybody to have to change their infrastructure. We want to partner with the ISO industry. We do not want to compete with them. Sure. And um, uh, and it just works, right? It's the old Apple saying, you know, it just works. That's really interesting, though. So, so in that model, though, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I mean – there's not any visa stipulation or, or laws or whatever that would say that the ISO can't make profit off of the surcharge, just that the merchant can't, right? The merchant can't, and that's the key component. Everything else is pretty easy. I mean, jurisdiction, jurisdictional issues are easy. Selecting debit or credit card is easy. But knowing what the, inter- the right interchange price is for that specific card at that specific time with that specific transaction, that's kind of rocket science. Right. I, I agree. So so basically what you're saying is that your your pitch would be to the merchant is, you know, look, you know, you can tell your consumers we are adding a, a surcharge, but it is going, you know, a service fee or whatever, but it's going to be exactly what the true cost of that payment is. So that way, when their consumer complains about it, they say, look, like, you know, if you use a different card, it would be a different cost. Like this is the true cost. Is that is that the pitch to the consumer basically in the merchant? Uh, that's kind of the pitch. If you don't mind, I'll refine it Please. a bit. Our business proposition uh, to merchants is that we will collect every dollar you're entitled to as a surcharge. If we, if there is room in that surcharge, we will charge up to 50 basis points as our fee, and you, you, the merchant, will collect it on our behalf. So let me give you an example. If we calculate that this uh, Visa card you know, this rewards visa card going to a state where it's allowed is going to be three and a quarter percent. Let's use a hundred dollars as, as the number. Mm-hmm. So that means we're going to, we've calculated that it's going to be a $3 and 25 cent merchant processing fee. Right. And merchant is, the merchant is uh, limited to the amount of surcharge it can pass through, which is 4%. So what we do is we say, okay, there's three and a quarter. And now, we're going to charge the search XP is 50 cents, which is embedded in the merchant processing fee. 
Um, so we're going to say, please collect 375. Uh, and that's completely transparent to the, to the consumer. He's not, I mean, if he's going to pay three and a quarter, he's not going to not pay 375. Of course. So then, but if the, if we calculate instead at 375, we would make it a 4% collection and only collect 25 cents from the merchant. Now this is in most cases, in high risk cases where people are always paying 4%, you know, we have to get paid. But, uh, in almost every case we, uh, this is the way we work. And if there's no, there's no, uh, surcharge allowed like it's a debit card or it's in colorado uh we don't we don't charge a fee Hmm. so so just one one last question i'll let patty get back to there but i'm just interested so i'm I'm really curious what what is the pitch then to the iso for instance okay let's say let's say i have an iso right and let's say i'm currently doing a 3.99 percent surcharge on every on all the credit cards obviously you're not a fan of the cash discounting um, and we could have that mm-hmm. debate another time. But, you know, so the idea is, let's say I'm just doing 3.99% on credit and I'm charging the merchant. In that case, I think it would be 3.84% in order for those two things to you know, balance out from a dollar perspective. You know, why would mm-hmm. I switch to your model, which ostensibly is less profitable because you're actually passing the true cost through with the surcharge versus I'm always collecting 3.99%. Well, if you're a flat rate, I you know if you're a flat rate ISO and you're just charging 3.84 percent, then it's a really simple calculation, right? Jurisdiction and card type. Right. Um, what I would tell you as an ISO charging 3.88 is that you're out of the market. So, so go ahead and do that, but you're losing a lot of money. What do you mean? We do what do you, a revenue what? share with our ISOs. Right, but what do you what do you mean so, I'm out of the market though? You mean you mean that you don't feel like there's other ISOs that are charging three nine nine on surcharge? Well, I'm sure there are. I would think of them as high risk. I mean what what we're about is we're subject matter experts in sure. minimizing merchant processing fees. Okay. So if you're paying three ninety nine, it's not that we're going to swoop in and, and take you as a client, but we're going to work with our ISO partner and say, Hey, it would be more efficient to put this guy on interchange plus. I get right? it. So and we can do it. So I think I think to clarify what you guys are doing and the reason the model is different. And correct me if I'm wrong here, but basically you're doing an interchange plus model, which you know the industry is really used to. Okay, we're charging interchange plus to this merchant, and you're looking at the surcharge as a separate thing. In other words, the surcharge is a credit that's going to go against the interchange plus fees that the merchant would normally be charged. Uh-huh. Whereas the other side of the industry basically is saying these two things are kind of connected on credit cards. We're charging a flat rate and we're surcharging a flat rate so that they wash where you guys are really trying to just maximize savings by passing through true costs due to the consumer, uh, you know, and, and then bringing it in. Is that, is that an accurate description? That's pretty accurate. The, the, what we've again, what we've taken is we've taken every pricing model there is in the marketplace, and we have uh, built our technology so we can calculate that number. And sure. if it's a flat rate provider like Stripe, you know, okay, it's three and a quarter and thirty-five cents hmm. in the states where it's allowed and not on a debit card. Hmm. But uh, what again, what we tell our our partner, I mean, what we know about sales, what I know about sales is that. ISOs have very little reason to talk to their customers once they get uh, sure once they get the deal. Of course, right. right. So mm-hmm. we give them something to talk, right. We give them something to talk about. We also give them a, a differentiator in the marketplace uh, from those ISOs that don't work with us. 
And, and if I can just ask, I mean, I think you mentioned this a minute ago, but so in terms of what's in it for the ISO, you do a revenue share with the ISO? Right. On, on that 50 cents or whatever. On that 50 cents or whatever it is? Right. Yeah, And then they're already collecting so, you know, on we the... Know we have embedded sales costs. Rather than me build a marketing group or a sales team, what I've built is a team that it empowers the ISOs. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, so let let me ask you, and, and and again, I I I presume then I mean, you mentioned about uh, the states because there are a handful of states that do not permit surcharging. So you have that worked into mm -hmm. your into your model as well. Like if I'm in Colorado, you know, buying right, there's six states. Yeah, there's six states now. Right. Um, those will go away in the next couple of years. But yes, right. absolutely. So we tell our customers. We will get you every dollar you're entitled to, and we guarantee your compliance. Okay, okay. So we do whatever it takes to make sure they're compliant. Now, let me ask you, because this is something that I know we've talked about in the past on, on, on the on past podcast, is the consumer perceptions. I mean, I've always sort of have been of the sense that consumers love to get get bargains, but they don't like to pay surcharges. What's been your experience in terms of consumer attitudes towards surcharging? Well, my hypothesis when I started the company is it would be a non-event for consumers. Um, we've got all kinds of data now that tells us it's a non-event for consumers. So in the retail brick-and-mortar business, in 2009, convenience stores started uh, were allowed to charge $0.50 cents, uh, on card transactions $10 and under, including debit card transactions. Right, right. Now, that's a 5% surcharge. So what, you know, like Keynesian economics would say is uh, there will be some kind of change in how people are paying you. Either they're going to increase their average purchase, they're going to walk next door to the guy who doesn't do it, um, they're going to pay cash more, something will change. Right. And the only thing that changed is completely counterintuitive. The thing that changed was that the card penetration at that transaction level went up. And it added about 50 basis points. Which is a giant. Um, we have, uh, you know, we have real live customer data now. Yeah, that's what I was One wondering our, about. Uh, I mean, what, yeah, what have you gotten in terms of your data? I, would, I was hoping right. that you had some of that. Yeah, I do. I, I will give it to you right now. So in a, in a straight e-commerce, I'm selling a product and you're going to buy it. Uh, we partnered with the second largest DR company in the country, ran a scientific AB test. The only difference in the carts was the surcharge. Mm -hmm. There was no material differences within the statistical margin of error. The, even if we took all of the, the – there were six total units out of uh, 1,200 and change. If we, even if we attribute all of those, to the fact that there was a surcharge, the return on that opportunity cost for our customer was three thousand percent. Yeah, wow. So needless, to, yeah. yeah, needless to say, you know, we implemented them. Um, for recurring revenue, we worked with a, a small business, is a mini storage facility, and uh, we he he sent to his existing customers and the, the requirements are you have to send two communications over a sixty day period. And it, we made it as draconian as possible. We said, uh, look, we're going to start charging you 4% for your card on file. If you'd like, 
to uh, have free billing, click here and we'll move you to ACH. And of the 2,600 uh, customers, four total people switched to ACH. Wow. There was no, there was no sure. impact. No measurable impact, sure. Yeah. There was, but there was no, yeah, but I think the more important data point there is that there was no support incidents. Mm. Yeah, the, it's, it's not like after you implemented it, everybody called in angry. Right, right. right. Well, they just sent the email, right? We didn't expect you to lose customers because that's a really sticky product. Sure, right? But sure. we were expecting some noise and support, right. and there was none. Yeah, wow. Um, yeah. And, and then in a call center environment, uh, we just finished uh, a, the first week of our implementation with a large call center, um, and... Uh, two things happened. Uh, they, the agents were trained. They said, "Look, you know, you can pay a transaction fee of whatever this is, uh, or you can use a debit card, and there's no transaction fee." Um, so his mix debit to credit went from 60/40 credit to debit card to 40/60, so it dramatically reduced his costs. Um, and then, out of the 452 uh, sales that were made, there was one complaint and no abandons. Wow. wow. So our data is proving out our hypothesis yeah. that this really just isn't an event. You know, consumers focus on shipping. You know, they've been trained that they should get free shipping. Free shipping, of course. But, sure. but transaction fees are just totally part of the deal for them. Yeah, we're They've really, already made their decisions. We're really, I've seen the same thing on the physical location side as well. And so it's interesting to hear you. I haven't heard any you know, significant uh, studies done on the e-commerce side with this. So that's really interesting to hear that data from you guys because that's definitely what I've seen on the uh, on the physical location it's side very, as well. And it's very compelling data, especially for the on the e-commerce side. Right, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Well, this is very interesting, yeah. Robert. Thank you. I, <coughs> this is really yeah, helpful. That's some really good information. Great information. So if there's an ISO, if there are ISOs out there that are interested um, in working with you, uh, what would be their, their next uh, step? Uh, just go to searchx.com and, and push the button for an inquiry, and we'll you know schedule an appointment to get you going. And that's uh, S-U-R-C-H-X.com. Right. Okay. Awesome. Right. Hey, good stuff. Thanks so much for taking time to speak with us. Really appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. You know, James, if there's one constant in merchant acquiring space, and I would suggest there are many, but if I, you know, if I were asked to name just one, right, I'd have to say it's change. Yeah, yeah, that's the truth. Right? You know, now we've interviewed a lot of longtime industry veterans in past podcasts who have talked about this. Sure. You know, and as someone who has been involved in banking and payments now for 40 years, I'm here to tell you that the changes have been huge. Right. You know, 40 years ago, nobody knew what a debit card was. ATM cards were proprietary, shared regional networks for several years off. Mm -hmm. As for credit cards, the few merchants who did accept them had to bundle and deposit paper tickets, then wait around for weeks before receiving bankable funds. Right. Electronic data capture and authorization were still several years off, and direct deposit via the ACH was a new concept and not widely used. Yeah, right. You know? 
But if the changes of the late 20th century were big, the changes in consumer buying habits and merchant expectations in the early 21st century have been nothing short of monumental. Online and mobile shopping, instant credit, online lenders, fobs that double as card swipe devices, electronic loyalty programs, etc., etc. Now, change generally introduces both challenges and opportunities. Right. For many merchants, for example, changes in consumer buying habits and expectations have ushered in all kinds of challenges, like how to grow while effectively managing cash flow. There are opportunities for merchants, too, of course, like the opportunity to differentiate and engender greater customer loyalty. But the real opportunities, I would posit, fall the merchant acquirers and their sales partners. Tally Baker, an analyst with the consultancy Ate Group, discusses this in a recent report that she was kind enough to share with me. The report addresses business-to-consumer disbursements as well as large business disbursements to small businesses. A survey of consumers she conducted last year revealed that 28% owned a small business. And 5% of consumers surveyed said they owned a small business and received disbursements for small business loans or card receivables. Mm-hmm. Now, for purposes of this survey, a small business was defined as one that generates $10 million or less in yearly revenues. The or less being the main part there, because a lot of people say they have a business, and what they mean is they have like a... You know, like they an do eBay store, right? Or, or they go to craft fairs and exactly. Know, they they market. they have they have some kind of a hobby that generates revenue for them, and that's why I mean, the ten million is clearly the the, the limit, right? the yeah. upper limit. And I have some data here that'll show why it's mostly smaller guys. Of course, sure. but um, you know, so um, based on the survey responses and some additional research, though, Tally came up with an estimate that these types of disbursements to small businesses amount to 96 million transactions, totaling just over $645 billion a year. Wow. That's, that's a nice piece Nothing of change. Nothing to sneeze at there. Yeah, right. Tally also probed the 5% of consumers who owned small businesses and who received disbursements to their businesses on how those disbursements were made. And here's something that surprised me. 30% of these small business owners who reser- received disbursements from acquirers or lenders reported receiving those funds by check. A nearly equal share, 31%, received the funds via direct deposit, and 30% received disbursements via PayPal or Zelle, which to me says that that's a lot of those, like, farmer's market, craft fairs type people. And also there was even few, you know, far fewer received these disbursements directly to debit cards Mm -hmm. or credit cards. Now, small business owners who reported receiving payouts of ca- card payments averaged 9.4 disbursements in 2018 and received, on average, a total of just over $6,800 in payments. Those receiving small business loan disbursements averaged 2.6 disbursements each, totaling an average of just over 6000 Tally said. Hmm. Um, in the... Quote, as U.S. small business owners become more familiar with the real-time payment capabilities offered through the card networks, as well as PayPal and Zelle, demand will increase, making direct deposit and check less relevant, she said. Yeah. Now, at this point, I, 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 should, I should point out that um, the Ate report was commissioned by Ingo Money. And Ingo began as a mobile check casher of sorts. It offers a service that allows consumers to make mobile check deposits to debit or prepaid cards, 
and receive instant availability for a fee. The fees are generally set at 1% to 3% of the check amount, which typically undercuts what they'd pay Walmart or a check Of course, sure. Right? Now, over the past year or two, Ingo has been rebranding itself as the Instant Money Company. Hmm. And the company has been working with Visa, and last year it announced an initiative it calls Ingo Money Quick Connect, which leverages Visa Direct. Now, Visa Direct uh, enables businesses to make near real-time push payments to consumer and business card accounts at card issuing, hmm. FIs. Sure. Now, I spoke to Ingo's founder, Drew Edwards, recently. He told me Ingo's instant funding solutions are driving most of the company's growth. And uh, I also did a little more research and, you know, discovered that Visa and Ingo are not alone in their pursuits of these near real-time or instant payments sure. to card accounts. Uh, MasterCard has partnered with Zelle. Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either until I yeah. did some research the other day. And, huh. and they're supporting, you know, push payments to small business clients and consumers, again, uh, to MasterCard issuing sure. banks. Sure, sure. Now, Tally's report reveals some good reasons in support of uh, pushing instant payments. As I noted, consumers are already familiar with the process. It's how PayPal, Venmo, and Zelle work. Right. And then there are the cash flow considerations. Among small business owners surveyed who received disbursement for card receivables, 96% said they liked the idea of receiving instant payments from their payment services providers. And 80% said they would select an in instant funding option if it were made available. Yeah, that's a, I thought that's a pretty, uh, pretty significant number there. That's a very significant <laughs> number. What's more... 85% said they would change acquiring relationships if they could sign with a new acquirer who offered instant what funding. What was that percentage? 85% <laughs> would switch acquirers hmm. for instant funding. I wonder if that'll be interesting to anyone listening, buddy. <laughs> I think it might, James. I think it might. <laughs> and here's another interesting point she, uh, she made. Uh, she found 8 out of 10 of those who would select an instant payment option if it were available said they would be willing to pay a fee for that. And half of those business owners said they'd pay 5% or more of the total value of the disbursement in exchange for instant funds. Unreal. Isn't it unreal? Really I is. mean, gosh, you think surcharging cash discounting is a moneymaker? Yeah. Instant and funding. It's, is and it's so interesting to me, too, because I feel like for a long time our industry, and I know I, I fall victim to this as well, is kind of like, we just don't understand, like, why does a business owner want the money so quick and why is it so valuable to them? But I think it's time that we all just realize, like, they do. They do. Just like everybody Whether, else. You know, yeah. and maybe they don't absolutely need it. They just want they it. They just want to know they have it right away. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's interesting in my conversations with, uh, you know, executives and stuff in the industry about this whole instant funding. I mean, it's definitely mm -hmm. on people's radar screen. Oh, it definitely is. Uh, ever since Square rolled it out mm -hmm. um, and they charge 1%. Right. Um, and you're like, wow, you're collecting 100 basis points to provide the money instantly. And as we talked about before the podcast, there's some risk implications sure. where it might even cost 1% or more to in, in cost. But, I mean, the fact that there's even upside there where people are willing to pay 2 3 4 5% is really quite something. I think that's really something. And, uh, you know, Tally's report concludes um, that to remain relevant in the market, acquirers and processors to support small businesses as well as small business lenders need to step up to the plate and work to ease the financial management bur burden most small businesses bear. Quote, acquirers, processors, and business lenders must evolve their payment strategies to include real-time payments 
for the timely disbursement of funds to small businesses, she wrote. Hmm. Offering real-time payments can improve the customer experience and offer a point of differentiation in a crowded marketplace. And you know, that pretty much sums up my take for this week. Yeah, wow, really, really interesting stuff, Patty. Thanks for sharing that. Surely. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Hey everybody, my name is James Shepard and we are in a little bit of a mini series here in questions from the field. We're talking about selling value, value selling versus just selling on price. Right. right, Patty. So last week we talked about kind of this concept of if you're selling on value, you know, selling on price is a form of value. Right. But we got to start with these questions to kind of understand the business better. Right. You, right? Elic- you elicit the information. Right. In, you know, in a in a in a probing but not interrogate. <laughs> yeah. Know, interrogation. Right. Right. And then you come back with some solution. Solution. Right. So today I want to get bring that down much more practical, right? So like, what exactly do you ask? What are the questions? How do you know what these questions sure, are? Yeah. So in order for me to accurately explain this, uh, you're going to need a little imagination today because I'm going to explain a slide that I am looking at right in front of me here. And I want you to understand this a second. So I want you to envision in your mind over to the left. So we have two uh, lists. On the left-hand side of our document here, we have a list of verticals, um, mm-hmm. pizza shop, retail store, cafe, fine dining, auto repair, attorney, you know, different business types, right. verticals. On the right-hand side, we have a list of solutions. These are things you provide. This could be uh, maybe you have an e-commerce solution. Maybe you have online ordering. Maybe you have reporting and analytics, mobile payments, uh, invoicing, you know, uh, certain POS systems that you offer, Clover, Point, you know, whatever. So you've got these solutions. So if you took those two lists, right, side by side, and imagine you started drawing some lines to connect the dots. So the pizza shop is interested in online ordering, maybe mobile payments, and maybe Moto accounts, Sure, right, to take their phone sales. Right. Uh, Maybe the attorney is interested in invoicing, and also he's interested in some kind of split funding for his trust account versus his operating account or something. Sure, sure. So you get the idea. So you're connecting them. So here's the key thing. The dots, the lines that connect the dots here between the vertical and the solution that fits them is questions. Mm -hmm. What question can you ask a pizza shop that will tell you if they would find online ordering valuable? Right. And not just, do you like online ordering? No. (laughs) So I'm going to give you some really specific guidelines. Okay. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to give you my favorite, my four favorite questions basically that you ask, okay? So your questions start with, have you ever tried, Mm -hmm. okay? Have you ever tried online ordering before? Right. 
have you ever thought about? This is a good one. Uh, uh -huh. This was a very soft, easy question. Right. And you'd be surprised. You'll get some good answers here. If you say, have you ever tried? <clears throat> Sometimes that's too forward of, an of a question. Right. They may no. Say, no. Get out of here. All right. <laughs> if you say, have you ever thought about offering online ordering? Mm -hmm. They will almost always answer that. Well, yeah, we thought about it. Here's what we thought. Right, right. Right? So that's a really good one. And again, this would this would be for any solution, of course, not just online ordering. This is just you start with, have you ever tried? Have you ever thought about? When is the last time you whatever, right? So this could be like, when is the last time you saw a report that showed how many of your customers with your online store, how many of your customers put something in their shopping cart, and but then they never purchased it? it. Right. When's the last time you saw a report like that? Well, I've never seen one. Mm -hmm. Or, well, I mean, every once in a while we run that through Google Analytics. And right. now you're like, oh, right. well, maybe you have a solution that offers them something much better, right? So the idea is, when is the last time you, whatever. Right. The last one is, do your competitors offer, now this is a good one. Right. So imagine you're at a small pizza shop, right? And we're with the online ordering theme here. So we say, um, you know, just a, a, out of curiosity, do any of your big competitors in the area, maybe it's Pizza Hut or Papa John's, do any of them offer online ordering? Oh, they all offer online ordering. Oh. Oh, really? So, <laughs> and, and have you ever thought about doing exactly. that yourself? So now we're uncovering. So the idea here is you start with one of these four questions. So again, uh, I'm giving you a very specific process, and this is a lot of information to take in in like a few minutes. So you're going to have to play this a couple times. If you're a sales manager trying to get your team to sell on value, I'm giving you the roadmap right now. Okay, Get a whiteboard out. On the left, make a list of all of the verticals you want to target. On the right, make a list of all the solutions that you provide. Mm -hmm. Connect the dots. Then, for each of those connecting lines, come up with a question that starts with either, have you ever tried? Have you ever thought about? When is the last time you or do your competitors offer? Okay? Right. Now, right. and then here's the last part, Patty, and this is my favorite part. So, <clears throat> once we get them to... A, you know, a reply in the affirmative. Mm -hmm. You know what? Yeah, you know, we, we did actually have thought a lot about doing online ordering, Patty. Mm -hmm. You know, we actually did think about uh, some kind of a reporting feature that would show us which customers dropped off when they were in the mm -hmm. checkout, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever that is, now this is the key. Now you're going to ask them one more question. The question is, would blank help to improve blank? Mm -hmm. Here's where we're going to confirm if there's value here. So I might, they might say, you know, we did think about doing online ordering, and I know a lot of our competitors do offer that. Oh, okay. Do you feel like if you did implement online ordering, do you feel like that would dramatically improve your business? Right. If they say, no, not really, well, they well, don't find value. That's it. That's not a value prop. And then them. what do you say? You say, oh, okay, well, no problem. Have you ever thought about something else, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is why we have multiple value propositions. Right. So we keep going back and forth. Have you ever tried? Have you ever thought about? And they say, yeah, I thought about it. Really? Do you feel like this would really help to improve this? No. Okay. What about this? Have you ever thought about? Boom. Yeah, sure. I've thought about it. That's interesting. Okay. Do you think, you know, this would help to improve your bottom line? Yeah, I really do. Now we have our value proposition. Right. 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 Now, in the next segment, Next week, I'm going to talk to you very specifically about how do you sell on value, meaning so far we've discovered the need, which is great. And, and like I said last week, sometimes you're going to do this, this questioning two and three and four times, and every time they're going to say, all we care about is the price. We just want to save money. 
Well, well, that's it then. And you know, then you're like, okay. So then guess right. what you got to do? You got to save them money and close the deal. Right. You're still going to sell on price 30, 40, 50% of the time. This is just going to open up those other opportunities where you can create some value, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. Some companies focus so much on selling on value, they forget the word selling. They don't make any yeah, sales. Sure. They get this really long sales cycle because, well, I would have closed deals this week, but I'm just so focused on value. I've got all these people that are interested in these really big solutions, and it's just I'm not closing them. Right. I need another month. I need and another. You need close to make money. Of course, you got to still. It's selling on value. It's not just communicating value. It's selling value, right? Right. So tune in next week. I'm going to talk to you about how do you actually close these deals and sell on value. So I'm really looking forward to that. Make sure you tune in next week for that part of the episode. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.